Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Total Bases Express Show. I am your host, Austin Spiro. Thank you so much for joining us for a special episode of the Total Bases Podcast. We are unveiling the greatest of all time. We are starting our greatest of all time series. Tonight, we are starting with the greatest first baseman of all time, as voted on by the Baseball Life Facebook group. Uh, And joining me, making this a regular thing now, is Kevin Miller. Kevin, good to see you. Hey, it's good to be on, man. Looking forward to talking about the best first baseman ever. Uh, maybe raising a few grievances as we get close to this festivus season. Yeah. I'll make sure I make all my grievances known. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's go- there's going to be a lot of debate uh, in the chat and maybe among us as well. Um, speaking of first baseman, uh, the crime dog, Fred McGriff. Making the Hall of Fame finally, thanks to the Contemporary Committee, the only one, and unanimous, unanimously making the Hall of Fame. As a Braves fan, I'm sure you're pretty excited for the crime dog making the Hall of Fame. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, he was part of the championship team in 95. And um, there's a chance. There's a chance he'll uh, he'll decide to wear a Braves hat on his on his plaque. And I know there have been a few guys who have gone with, with no logo. Yeah. Um, but – you know, he's got three teams I could see doing it. And I, I obviously I want him to go in as a brave because yeah. I'm a Braves fan, but I'm glad I'm just glad he's in. Yeah. You know, 493 home runs. Uh, he belongs. He belongs. Yeah. And it's the same amount of home runs as Lou Gehrig, who we'll definitely be talking about later today. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. And um, I think Crime Dog really deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. I've been saying that for a long time. Um, I could see him going in as either a Ray because he's from Tampa or a brave because he won the champion. He won the world series with, um, with, uh, Atlanta. So I can, I see either Tampa or Atlanta. Uh, those are the two for me. Um, other news, uh, we just got it breaking that Mitch Hanniger is going to the giants. A lot of science, a lot of signing today. Um, still waiting on Aaron judge. Seems like it's down to the Yankees and the giants. Um, Corey Richmond is in the chat. And uh, Corey is uh, reporting that Pittsburgh has won the lottery again and has the first pick of the draft. Um, no, sh- no surprise to me. I, I, I thought Pittsburgh was probably going to get it. Um, and I think the other big news is uh, I can't pronounce his name. Bayerga can't remember. I can't. Uh, Bayerga, the uh, journalist, uh, he's reporting that the Giants are also in on Carlos Correa. We were just talking off camera there that uh, the. The, uh, the Giants being in on all these high-priced guys, they're going to run out of money soon. They're going to start looking like the Angels like the or the or the Rangers now buying, you know, buying DeGrom and paying all these big contracts. They're going to run out of money. Yeah, so Bayerga, I don't even know if he really does any true reporting. He's um, he's a former player, um, played, uh, played for the Indians um, in the 90s. Um, he's a good player. Um, I think he's got 2000 hits or, or just un- maybe he's just under 2000 hits. He's a pretty good player. Um, but somehow he is in the know on yes. some guys. Cause he, he broke somebody's signing news last year, way before, like before passing and Rosenthal and, and all those guys. And he, he claims he knows something about Correa too. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be uh, really interesting. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Um, we've already got the uh, Rangers uh, buying in on Jacob DeGrom and getting all these big contracts, and it seems like the Giants are getting pretty aggressive too. The Dodgers can't seem to land anybody in either of the Yankees, so this will be 
uh, maybe a changing of the guard here. It'll be really interesting. Um, nonetheless, uh, we are going to get started on our greatest first baseman of all time. So the way that this worked was um, I've been wanting to do this for a while and uh, it only took me having a podcast to be able to get this done. Um, so I, uh, we put out there, you know, Kevin's our main poll guy. He actually put, he's starting a new series, the, um, uh, going around the diamond of who would, uh, who would you count on to have no errors? Uh, I thought that's, I thought that was, that's a good poll. I like that. Um, so, you know, in conjunction with Kevin, we're starting the greatest of all time series. So I put out every once in a while, every what one, every two, three days, I put out a, a new one and they, and everybody gave me their top 10 lists of greatest players of all time at each position. So we have first, second, short, and third. We have catcher. We have top 15 outfield. And then we have top 10 starting pitching and top 10 relief pitching. Um, and then I put it all, every ballot into a uh, database and, or, you know, my uh, spreadsheet. And I did it, uh, you know, I did it by hand and we calculated the points. And then we went from there. Um, it was really interesting. A lot of the ballots. Um, so, you know, we'll get, right into it uh right uh before we get into it uh the the a lot of first basemen got voted on or got mentioned in um in these in these ballots um i'm trying to pull it up really quick and see if i can find it i can't find it right now uh oh there it is is that it yeah that's it right there uh let's see a total of 63 first basemen were mentioned in these ballots by the baseball life uh, Facebook group. So with a lot of mentions, a lot of participation, I really appreciate it, but only 10 could make the list. So without further ado, let's get started on the, uh, the list here. Let me share my screen. Come on, share the screen. Uh, there's that. And then we have to, let me, there we good. You got it. Okay, cool. All right. So um, let's get started on the uh, greatest first baseman of all time. Uh, the first thing is the players that just missed the top 10. Uh, as you can see, I have my little Bob Euchre meme there. Um, so uh, these are the guys that just finished just outside the top 10, except for Stan Musial. Stan, the man we had to omit from the list due to extenuating circumstances, and I'll just kind of uh, blow it. He made two lists. Um, so, and the other position, the other list that he was on, he played more. So he played more at that position. So we took Stan Musial out of the first baseman list. And, um, uh, you know, our, our, our caveat was they could only be on one list. But if we didn't have that, Stan Musial would have been on both lists. Um, so uh, in 12th was Jim Tomei, who was one point away from making the top 10. One. One point. Um, Keith Hernandez finished 13th on Mattingly. Missing out on the Hall of Fame and also missing out on our greatest top 10 of all time um, is going to be 14th and Mark McGuire 15th. Any surprises there, uh, Kevin, on who just missed in the top 10? Yeah, I, th I think it's surprising uh, just looking at, you know, Keith Hernandez and Don Mattingly being above McGuire and then above some guys that, you know, didn't even make top 15, you know, like Johnny Mize, uh, even Todd Helton, guys like that. Um, you know, it's a bit of a surprise. I think some of that's got to do with popularity, though, right? Right. You know, those are two really popular guys who are also, you know, happen to play uh, for Mattingly his whole career and for Hernandez a good chunk of his career in New York. 
Right. And I think that that plays a role in, in the popularity and they each won an MVP and were good defensively. So they, they do have some unique um, aspects of their resume, but it's a little surprising to see them ahead of McGuire, which could just be, you know, people not liking the, the steroids, which I get. Right. Um, and, and a few other guys. Um, it's a bit surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we did not put anybody, uh, we didn't put any restrictions on anybody's list. I just said, you know, whoever you think is the top 10, go for it. And, you know, people did research. I know like Corey Richmond is in the chat. He did, he did research and compiled all of these lists, you know, and uh, we had people research based on statistics, based on the eye test, based on just who their favorites were. Right. And, you know, these top 10 lists could have been made any, any different way. Um, like right now, Corey Richmond is in the chat saying defense matters. So maybe, you know, Don Mattingly, Keith Hernandez being a little more defensively minded than, you know, people like McGuire and Tomei, maybe that's why I put them up a little bit. I don't know. I think the popularity is a little bit more of a, of a factor here, but nonetheless, they didn't make the top 10, but they were very close. Uh, let's move on. So we're going to get started with our number 10, uh, our number 10 first baseman of all time. Now, really he was number 11, but with the omission of Stan Usual, he uh, made the top 10. And honestly, I couldn't see a top 10 list without this guy. This guy, And nonetheless, let's unveil our number 10 first baseman of all time. Harmon Killebrew is our, is our number 10 first baseman of all time. So Harmon Killebrew had a 22-year career with the Washington Senators, Minnesota Twins, and Kansas City Royals from 1954 to 1975. He is 78th all-time in games played with 2,345. He has a career 256 average, 376 OBP, and a 509 slugging, tied for 90th all-time. He's got a career 142 weighted runs created plus. He's got a career 66.1 war. He appeared in 11 all-star games, was the 1969 AL MVP, and is 12th all-time in homers with 573. Harmon Killebrew breaking our top 10 and starting us off. Kevin, what is your reaction to Harmon Killebrew being number 10? Should he be higher? Should he be lower? What do you think? I'm pretty good with uh, Killebrew being at 10. You know, there's probably some people who got a little caught up in positions with Killebrew. He played just under half of his career as a third baseman, albeit a bad third baseman, which is why he got moved to first base. Uh, But, I mean, the the man was listed at 5'11", which means he's probably closer to 5'10", 5'9". Right. And he hit 573 home runs. Uh, in an era where there were only about 10 guys who hit a lot of home runs at any given time. Right. And he's one of two guys. Um, I, I learned this stat a while back. He's one of two guys along with Henry Aaron to hit 40 home runs in three different decades. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, he and Aaron both hit 40 home runs in, uh, in a year in the fifties, the sixties and the seventies. Killebrew did it in 1970 was his last one. So he just made it. Uh, but I do, I do want to give a quick shout out to Reggie Jackson, who somehow hit 40 home runs in the sixties and the eighties, but not the seventies in between. So there were almost three guys, but Killebrew and, uh, and Hank Aaron did it. So I, I don't have a problem at all with Killebrew be, being where he is, you know, other than the big train, Walter Johnson, he's probably the greatest, you know, twin or Senator of all time. Um, I mean, he's a stud. Yeah, he was. He was a stud for sure. Um, definitely. I think he's deserving of being in the top 10. I think 10th 
is probably as high as I would go for Killebrew. Um, I mean, 573 home runs is a lot of home runs. That's a ton. Um, you know, and being 12th all time in home runs, the man could slug. He's in the top hundred of all time in terms of slugging percentage. Um, he, you know, he's almost in, he's almost there in the top 50 and weighted runs created. Plus, I mean, you can't argue the statistics. The dude was just, he was the man for a long time when it came to that twins organization. Um, so, and you know, extremely durable playing in or almost 2,500 games. It's, it's an incredible feat. Um, nonetheless, and I think as we get farther into the list, we're going to start seeing that maybe the number of games played or the durability doesn't necessarily play into, um, whether they're the greatest of all time or not, because we got people on this list that only played like 1300 games. So, um, we'll get, we'll get into that here pretty soon. Um, but yeah, Harmon Killebrew breaking our list at number 10, uh, moving on to number nine of all time, by the way, if, um, what, whatever you think of this list, go ahead and put it in the chat. We'll mention you, um, you know, and love the discussion. It would be great. Corey Richmond's in there right now, spouting stuff off. Love it. Uh, let's go to our number nine. Please give me the number nine guy. What happened? There he is. Uh, our number nine guy. Jeff Bagwell, we talked about him a little bit in the last uh, Total Bases podcast, uh, or Felipe talked about him, I should say, with the suspicion of steroids. But nonetheless, Jeff Bagwell is number nine all-time, according to our Baseball Life Facebook group. He had a 15-year career with just the Astros from 1991 to 2005. He played less games than Killebrew, 2,150. He had a career 297 average, 408 OBP, and a 540 slugging. Uh, career 149 weighted runs created plus 80.2 career war, which is tied for 37th of all time with Pete Rose, who got votes on this ballot, but wasn't even close. In fact, I think he was last place of all the people that, that got mentioned in a ballot. He appeared in four all-star games, was the 1991 Rookie of the Year, 1994 NL MVP, and Gold Glove in 1994, and he won the Silver Slugger three times. Uh, so Houston Astros, man, Jeff Bagwell, what do you think, Kevin, Jeff Bagwell, number nine, what do you think? So Bagwell gets tricky, right? You've got to, you've got to decide how you feel about the Andro use, right? It it was, it was legal when he started using it. And depending on who you ask, he might've stopped when it became illegal or continued. We don't necessarily know. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't considered an anabolic steroid until after he, uh, after he had retired, that's a more recent development. So you got to decide how you feel about that. It's the same thing that Mark McGuire took, um, and a few others. Uh, so you, you got to figure that out, but in terms of just on-field production, especially at the plate, I don't, I don't have an issue with Bagwell at nine. He had a stretch, um, probably, I guess from 93 to 2000, uh, or so where, you can make an argument he was a, a top two or three first baseman in baseball during an absolutely loaded era right? Uh, for first baseman and power hitters in general. I mean, we're talking you know, about the it, 90s. It's really good. We're talking right. about the 90s here. That's the era of these monsters uh, that, right. you know, we're hitting, you know, the Mark McGuire's, the Sammy Sosa's, the, you know, the, the, these guys were monsters and Bagwell was right there with them. Yeah, that, I do. I do think that his 1994 Gold Glove is probably a little bit of a joke. Yeah, um, I, th- I don't. I don't uh, think of Jeff Bagwell when I think of elite first base defense. 
But um, with the Batman, he was he was really daggone good. I mean, when you have a career 149 WRC plus, that's ridiculous. Yeah. There are only 30, 30 guys in the history of the sport whose offensive production is better than Bagwell's if you go by WRC plus as metric. Right. Yeah, it's just, I mean, and a lot of these metrics, I mean, OBP, um, it was slugging percentage, weighted runs created plus war. He's in the top 50. In fact, he's pretty much in the top 40 all time. Think of how many players in there, there are in baseball history. And this man is ranked in the top 50 in a number of these categories. It's, it's pretty insane when you think about it. When it comes to offense, the only thing that I have to say about Jeff Bagwell, he has one of my favorite batting stances of all time. <laughs> That just that low crouch and and getting all of that power out of that low crouch. It was just, I don't know. I, I enjoyed that batting stance. Um, I even tried a little bit to emulate Jeff Bagwell when it, when I started playing and I had kind of a low crouch when I first started. And then I realized that it didn't work for me. Um, so Dude, it's hard. It it's is, hard it's to hit incredibly like incredibly hard to generate power like that. So the right. fact that he could do it is insane. Um, yeah, we, we when we were kids, you know, we'd have home run derbies and we'd get in different stances. You know, everybody always tried Bagwell's. But we could never hit like that. I, he claimed he could see the ball better because his eyes were closer to pitch level. But man, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he hit like that. I, I don't. I don't know either. You think his legs would get tired? I just. I well, look at them. They're they're also the size of tree trunks. Yeah, they're huge. Um, so Corey Richmond is in the chat. He's surprised. He says, Willie, ba- uh, really Bagwell over Mattingly and Hernandez simply. Wow. So that's what, uh, that's the kind of reactions I was hoping to get on these lists. I love it. Uh, you know, it's just a matter of opinion. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he has better offense than Mattingly or Hernandez, but they were a little more defensively minded. So, you know, and we're going to see that that's a common theme. Offense matters in this list. Um, speaking of that, let's go to our number eight. So our number eight first baseman of all time, Willie McCovey, my man, Willie McCovey. He's got a whole cove named after him. Willie McCovey he spent a 22 year career with the giants, Padres and A's from 1959 to 1980 playing in 2,588 games. He hit a career 270 average 374 OBP and a 515 slugging percentage a career 145 weighted runs created plus he hit for 67.4 war appeared in six all-star games was the 1959 rookie of the year. 10 seasons later, he won the NL MVP in 1969 and his 20th all time in home runs with 521. I got to say, I'm a little surprised that Willie McCovey is as low. I, I didn't think he was going to be up in the top three, but I thought he was going to be like fifth or sixth. Is that the way you see it? I, I I didn't see him in the bottom third of this list until, you know, I, I, I would have put him fifth or sixth. What do you think? I can see that. I, there's definitely at least one guy still to come on the list that I would have certainly had below McCovey, and I'll uh, air that grievance when we get to it. <laughs> uh, but McCovey, I, when I was younger, I, I kind of viewed McCovey as maybe being a little overrated uh, in terms of his power based on where he played a lot of his home games early in his career with the short right field. Um, however, I did a little bit more research into it. And as much as, as much as McCovey did pull the ball a fair amount, he did not pull the ball right down the line to the short right field. And, um, and so a lot of his home runs that I had originally uh, viewed as maybe cheaper, I actually learned were not. 
he he was he was earning the, those those home runs. I, I guess there's a reason why eventually um, eventually in San Francisco they they named the, <laughs> named the Cove after him. You know he he did hit the ball a long ways, um, right. and and he probably doesn't get enough credit overall because he was very rarely the best player on his team because right. a, a good chunk of his career, he played with Willie freaking Mays. Yeah. Who, who is depending on who you ask the best player or at minimum, one of the 10 best players to ever play the game. Right. So I'm sure Willie McCovey gets dinged there just because he played alongside Willie Mays. Yeah. And I always think that argument is funny. He wasn't even the best player on his team. But you got to look at who they're who who he's playing with, right? You, that, and you just said it. Willie McCovey played with Willie Mays. Ain't th- 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 there really isn't very many people that were better if nobody was better than Willie Mays? So yeah, he wasn't the best player on his team because he had one of the greatest of all time on his team. So no duh, right? But he's still a good first baseman nonetheless. But when I think of first baseman of all time, you are right. You kind of have to look statistically to find that Willie McCovey is is up there. I just, I don't think Willie McCovey when it comes to elite all time, but I've seen enough of his stats to know that he's there. Right. You know, so, but he's not the first one. He's not really there when it, when it comes to, when you say the word first baseman, McCovey doesn't come to my head. So, you know, I know I said maybe five, six, but you know, with that, maybe, maybe eight is a good place for him. Um, so I, I'm I'm really interested to see who you have a grievance with. So I wanna I wanna move to uh, number seven and see if that's the guy that you have a grievance with. So our number seven dude for first base is Hank Greenberg. Um, this one, this one I have a bit of an issue with. Um, Hank and why he's so high. So Hank Greenberg spent a 13 year career with the Tigers and the Pirates in 1930, and then took a break, and then all of us and then played in 19. 19- uh, 33 to 1941 and then came back in 1945 and played and played until 1947. He missed three seasons due to military service. He played in just 1,394 games, but he, but in those 1,394 games he played, uh, he had, he hit for a career 313 average of 412 on base percentage and a 605 slugging percentage, which is good for sixth all time. Um, he has a career 154 weighted, uh, weighted runs created plus, which is tied for 20th with Willie Mays and Frank Thomas. Okay. He, he hit for 61.1 war. He had five all-star appearances and was the AL MVP in 1935 and 1940. I'm going to air a grievance here. I don't think Hank Greenberg should be this high. Do I think he has a right to be on the top 10? Yeah, I think he has a claim to be on the top 10, but not number seven, not above McCovey for sure. Not above, you know, some of these other guys. He didn't play enough. He only played almost, he played less than 1400 games. You know, yeah, his, his, his average is high. His slugging is high, but what happens if he plays another thousand games? Is it up? Is it still up there? I don't know. Right. So I, this one is my first grievance with this list. I, this is where I have a problem with it. Do you see it that way? Is this the guy you have a grievance with is Hank Greenberg? All right. You, you share a name with everyone's favorite small bird Pokemon. So you, you you get some credit there, but I'm going to have to disagree with you on 
the original Hammer and Hank, uh, which he was known as Hammer and Hank before Hank Aaron was. Uh, Hank Greenberg is, to me, a top five first baseman of all time. Oh, wow. Okay. This wasn't even the grievance I was talking about earlier, uh, but I do have a grievance here. I think he's too low. Uh, Hank Greenberg has the sixth highest slugging percentage of all time. And if you if you look at, at the time he missed, um, you know, most of 1941 and then all of 42, 43 and 44, it was because he was fighting in World War Two. Right. Um, and if I recall correctly, he voluntarily enlisted. Um, he is Jewish, uh, sometimes called the Hebrew hammer. Um, and he he was essentially fighting for his people. Uh, which is a really, a really cool thing, really noble thing for him to have done. And so when he missed the almost four seasons due to his military service, that was pretty much in his prime. So you could say that maybe his numbers would have dipped a little, but likely they would have been pretty similar to what we see because it was mostly during his prime that he missed. I, I believe it was, uh, it was ages 30 through 33 or 31 through 34 um, and for power hitters, that's pretty much that's pretty much their prime. And Hank Hank Greenberg was an absolute monster, a 600 slugging. I think there's only seven guys in the history of baseball that have a 600 slugging, and and he's one of them. Not not that many first basemen, that many players. Period. And I, I, I get I get the argument on not playing as much. You know, the 1400 games is not nearly as many games as some of these other guys. But I have a hard time believing that if he would not have been in World War II, I have a hard time believing that his numbers would have dipped very much. I, I, I can see that. I could, I could respect that uh, argument. I think it's, uh, uh, it, it, it's a good argument. I just, I really have a hard time putting people on greatest of all time lists that play significantly lower amount of game totals because you don't know what, could have happened in that thousand games. You know what I mean? You you don't know. Like we saw, um, I, I guess this is kind of a little bit, I don't know if this is the correct example or not, but you look at like um, Chris Davis of the, of the Orioles, right? He had two really good seasons. Everybody thought he was an elite first baseman. And then he fell off the face of the planet and became one of the worst hitters in MLB. Right. So you just, you just don't know. Now his numbers are very impressive. 605 slugging, only five major leaguers are, have a higher slugging percentage than him. Right. So it is very impressive. I just, for me, that's where I have a hard time is the, you know, 13, 1400 games played, but seems like I'm in the minority as far as people that are paying attention right now. I got Corey Richmond um, in the, in the chat who thinks that he should be higher along with uh, you, Kevin. Uh, he thinks that, uh, yeah, the Hebrew hammer should be a little bit higher. So nonetheless, whether you think he should be higher or lower, it doesn't matter because baseball life put him at number seven. So there is that. Uh, let's move on to number six. Our number six first baseman of all time is Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera has spent a 20-year career with the Marlins and Tigers from 2000, starting in 2003. And he just announced, what, a couple weeks ago? that 2023 will be his last season. As of right now, he's played in 2,699 games, good for 33rd all time. He has a career 308 ERA, career 308 average, a 384 on base and a 524 slugging, which is good for 60th all time. 
He has a career 140 weighted runs created plus, tied for 65th all time. He has a 68.6 war so far, and it only it can only go up. He's tied for 68th all time with Johnny Mize. He's uh he's appeared in 12 All-Star games, which I don't understand the legacy pick from last year. It really should be 11. I don't understand the, you know, oh, I don't understand the legacy pick. I didn't like that. Anyway, um, two, he, he was the AL MVP in 2012 and 2013. He should only have one because Mike Trout should have the other. Uh, he was the 2012 Triple Crown winner. He has won the Silver Slugger seven times is 27th all-time in homers with five oh with 507 14th all-time in should be rbis uh i i put rbs so apparently it's running backs um 14th all-time in rbis with 1847 and 25th all-time in hits 3088 um i think you can argue he's probably one of the best venezuelan players ever to come out of that country um yeah miguel cabrera sixth all-time this one i think i would have to agree with uh with Corey in the chat there. I think this is a little bit recency bias. I think everybody is seeing this career kind of come to a close and everybody sees how great Miguel Cabrera is. I think he's a little higher than I would put uh, Miggy, but you know, nonetheless, he is number six. What do you think there, uh, Kevin? Yeah. Miguel Cabrera, he's a little bit tough for me um, because you do have the recency bias that, you know, we can all fall into, but, Another aspect of recency bias could could be that he's been terrible the yeah. last couple seasons. That is true, um, and and I don't mean that in, in a disrespectful way. He's he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, like no doubt. But I, I wonder if twenty years from now we would look at Miguel Cabrera in a more favorable light if he would have retired after say twenty eighteen or, mm-hmm. or twenty nineteen rather than hanging on for these last few years where. I mean, he's even admitted, he said, I'm not good and I don't feel good. That's what he said last year. And, and that it, it's difficult to see and to watch with, with a guy who, who's so great. Um, but if you look at his, especially his rate stats, they're just plummeting. Yeah. Um, he was a guy who uh, two seasons ago, his career uh, OPS was about 930. It's now under 900 or it's, it's going to be under 900 after this next season. Right. Like it's plummeting. And I'm wondering what his legacy would look like if instead of finishing his career in 2023, if maybe he would have finished it four years earlier. Um, he's, he's a top 10 first baseman of all time to me. Uh, I don't know that I would have gone as high as six, but I'm also wondering if if the end is negatively affecting it as well. That 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 could also be true, and that that does pose a question for me. Do some of these long, big contracts, you know, because he signed a long, big contract. We knew that this was coming with the Tigers. So, does would that harm? Do these big contracts that people are signing, and we're seeing like Trey Turner signing an eleven-year deal. We're you know we're we're seeing these guys sign big contracts, and I'm sure we're going to see Aaron Judge sign a big 10, 11, you know, ten-year contract. Does that uh, affect the legacy going on? Because we know the numbers are going to depreciate. I think it will. Um, I I don't know that I agree with this, but I heard somebody say that by the time. Uh, Trey Turner's contract is over. He he will just be end of career Walt Weiss, and where where he's a good contact hitter, but 
doesn't have any more power and can't run anymore because he's 40 years old. And I don't know that I want to go to quite that, that extent, but I do think that these long contracts are going to uh, affect guys' legacies because instead of being able to age out gracefully and maybe even retire a little bit earlier or take a uh, diminished role on a team, you know, like a lot of hall of famers did at the very end, uh, you're going to have these guys that are playing every day because they're getting paid 30 million dollars a year yeah and expectations are a little bit different when you make that kind of money right yeah i think that's kind of the pitfall that uh, that's a big pitfall that you have with these contracts we saw it with the angels and and albert pujols right they were paying him a ton to just be bad he was not great at, at the end there of the of the angels tenure um you know we saw chris davis chris davis got paid a huge contract and then he was bad um, you know, we're seeing it over and over and over again. And I, I think it's diminishing the legacies. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Miguel Cabrera would have been higher if he retired. He would have been seen maybe in a little more favorable light if he retired four years, four years ago. But, you know, now we've just watched the last three, four years. He just has not been the Miguel Cabrera that we that we know he used to be. And we know he can't be that guy because, you know, he's older. And he can't produce that, but he's getting paid like he should, right? And it's, I don't know. I don't think it's right. I don't like these big, long, huge, long deal contracts. I think they're a bad idea for the team. I think they're a bad idea for the player. It's just, that's just my opinion. I'm sure there's somebody else who's going to say, you know, whatever, shut up, right? So, you know, who knows? We'll see. But yeah, nonetheless, Miguel Cabrera does make our top 10. He is number six overall. Uh, let's move into our top five, moving into the fifth, excuse me. We're moving into our fifth ranked first baseman of all time. And that fifth ranked first baseman is Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray spent a 21 year career with the Orioles, Dodgers, Mets, the Indians at the time and the angels that I did not know. That was a, uh, that was a surprise for me. I was, I had no idea. Um, from 1977 to 1997, he played 3,026 games, which is good for eighth all-time. He had a career 287 average with a 359 OBP and a 476 slugging, good for a 127 weighted runs created plus. For me, if you're looking for greatest of all time, that weighted runs created plus is a little low. He played. Uh, he got a. Uh, he hit for a 72 WAR which is good for 55th all time. He has eight all-star appearances, was rookie of the year in 1977, won the gold glove three times, the silver slugger three times, is 28th all time in homers at 504, was 11th all time in RBIs with 1,917 and 14th all time in hits, 3,255. Eddie Murray at number five. Kevin, what do you think about this distinction for Eddie Murray? It's time to air my grievance. Oh, yes, I found it. All right. All right, I'll start it off with asking you a trivia question. Okay. Do you know what Eddie Murray's career high in home runs is? Ooh, um, let's take a guess. Um, 27. Ooh, no, not, not quite that bad. It's 33. Oh, I was, okay. 33 is his career high in home runs. Matches his uh, Orioles jersey there. Uh, and... I'm sorry. Eddie Murray was a very good player for a long time. He is nowhere close to the fifth best first baseman to ever play this beautiful game. 
Eddie Murray is probably, to give him some credit, probably the third best switch hitter of all time. I think it's Mickey Mantle, Chipper Jones, and then probably Eddie Murray. I mean, you can make an argument for uh, Carlos Beltran. Some people try to make an argument for Pete Rose. They're wrong, but they would try to make that argument. (laughs) Um, Much like Pete Rose, Eddie Murray was a compiler. And again, he was a very good player for a very long time. But my man had a 127 career WRC plus. His slugging percentage is 130 points lower than Hank Greenberg's. 130 points lower. This dude does not belong, I don't think, even in the top 10. The only, I think I might have even voted him number 10. And the only reason I did is because he played for 72 years. So he got up to 3,000 hits <laughs> and 500 home runs. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. I think Eddie Murray here, I think these these stats he's got is a bit of a compiler. I mean, I've already said it, 127 weighted runs created plus. When you're talking greatest of all time, that's that's pretty low. Um, that that means that he's what? He's better than, tw- uh, he's 27% better than the average major leaguer all time. So that's just, I don't know. That That's a little low to me. I would agree with you. Um, the chat agrees with you as well. We're seeing, wow, Murray at five. That's just crazy talk. So I think we all have the same grievance as you. Uh, I, I I think I'm way too excited to have finally found the grievance. <laughs> well, and and here's here's the here's another thing about Eddie Murray is he played on a team with with Cal Ripken Jr. Right, which right. you know obviously Cal is going to go down as a as a better player than Eddie Murray, mm-hmm. but Cal played shortstop. And overall, most years was a better hitter than the first baseman, Eddie Murray. And, man, I just – I can't get behind viewing Eddie Murray in this kind of light. He, he's a good player for a long time. If, if I were to, to just completely throw out any previous list I've made and start over and make a first base list, I don't know that he's in the top 15 for me. Oh, wow. That's I mean, bold. Okay. And if he, if he is, if he is, again, it's only because he held on and played so long so that he could get to 3,000 hits and 500 home runs. And I, I don't want this to sound so disrespectful to Eddie Murray because he's a great player. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. I'm not denying any of that. He never won an MVP. He just didn't because he wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't. He wasn't the best hitter on his team most years. And that was without playing with Willie Mays, like Willie McCovey did. It's without playing with Babe Ruth, like Lou Gehrig did. It, you know, Cal Ripken Jr., very good offensive player, excellent for his position. But you should not, you should not view Eddie Murray this high. I just, I can't, I can't get over the fact that Eddie Murray is below everyone else that we've had on this list so far. Everyone in the top 10 should be above Eddie Murray, all of them. And I think the reason why I think this has to do with the number of times that he that he was on a ballot, because when you look at it, I just looked the 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 most votes he got on a ballot was eighth. He, he got the most like eighth all time right around there. Right. But he was on more lists than some of these other guys. And so because he was on, he, because he appeared on more lists, he got, he was higher. 
So I agree with you. I don't think Eddie Murray is number five, but there were a lot of people that saw him as a top 10 first baseman. So because a lot of people saw him as that, it ranked him higher. So this may be a math thing. This may not necessarily be a reflection on what baseball life sees in Eddie Murray, because it seems like the majority see him kind of as the lower third in the top 10. But um, nonetheless, he's number five. I think this is the biggest mistake in this list. Would you agree? I I agree with that. I do want to say one thing to Eddie Murray's credit. There is a picture. um, You can probably find it on the internet of him and and Cal Ripken Jr. Celebrating after they won the world series in, was it 1982? Maybe. Um, Anyway, in the picture they're you know, they're covered in champagne and sweat and all this stuff. And next to each other, they look like Samuel L. Jackson and Matthew McConaughey. This and it's it's really funny looking because it was when Cal had hair and it was back in the uh, it, it looked like 90s Samuel Jackson with the with the fro. And it's really funny looking. So if you find that picture, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm going to I'm going to have to look that I'm going to have to look up that picture. We might have to post that in baseball life. That'll be funny. Uh, let's move into our number four first baseman of all time. Uh, after our big grievance here, we're starting to get into the upper echelon here. Number four, all time, according to baseball life, the big hurt, Frank Thomas, Frank Thomas spent a 19 year career with the white Sox, the A's and the blue Jays from 1990 to 2008. He played in 2,322 games played, albeit some of that is DH. So I was kind of shocked that, you know, they kind of put him in first base, but, uh, Nonetheless, uh, he hit for a career 301 average, 419 uh, OBP, which is good for 20th all-time, not just first baseman, all-time. And he's tied for 22nd all-time in slugging at 555. He's tied for 20th with Willie Mays and Hank Greenberg and weighted runs created plus at 154. He was he has a 72.1 war, 54th all-time. He appeared in five all-star games, was the 1993 and 94 AL MVP, won the Silver Slugger four times, is 21st all-time in homers with 521 and 26th all-time in RBIs at 1,704. Frank Thomas, number four. Kevin, what's your reaction to our fourth first baseman of, or number four first baseman of all time? I personally love it. And part of the reason why I say that is because I've got no problem with considering Frank Thomas a first baseman, even though he technically had more games started as a DH than a first baseman. And the reason I don't have a problem with it is because he, while he did become a designated hitter, he was not the kind of guy that if you put him at first base, he was just some awful, awful, awful butcher at first base. He was not David Ortiz at first base. Okay. okay. Frank Thomas was, was not a gold glove winner. I'm not comparing him to Keith Hernandez, Don Mattingly, Mark Teixeira, Vic Power, all those guys. I'm not doing that. But he was not some butcher over there. In fact, when he was, when he was young, he was actually a pretty good glove at first base. So him becoming a DH um, to me doesn't necessarily disqualify him uh, from the first base list because he was still capable of playing there. Uh, he, you know, especially the later parts of his White Sox career, Paul Canerco, had come over and was a younger guy and Paul Canerco played first base and, and there were some, some other players mixed in that did the same. So I don't have a problem with it, especially when you look at purely the offensive stats. Uh, Frank Thomas was an absolute monster. 
And he was, he was a monster that despite the way he looked, um, unless he, <laughs> unless he did some hidden HGH, he was clean. Uh, he voluntarily um, gave tests and interviews for the Mitchell report and uh, a few other uh, steroid investigations. Like most players said they weren't going to be a part of it. Even if they were clean, they didn't want to be a part of it because they didn't want to expose other players. Frank Thomas is like, I got no problem. Come test me. I'll talk about whatever you want. I'm clean. I'm you can good. tell he's just a big man. He's right. Even when he was like 20 years old in the minor league or at, at Auburn, you can look at it and like he was enormous. He obviously gained a little bit of weight as he got older, as everyone does, but he was yeah. already enormous. I mean, he when he got to Auburn, he was going to play football, too. He was a defensive tackle. I mean, he's huge. It, yeah. it, this was not artificial size. Yeah. So he, I don't I don't I don't have a problem with with viewing him as clean. I think he was. And when you just look at the stats, I mean, they're unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he was one of my favorite, favorite uh, hitters to watch as I was growing up. Frank Thomas was, by the way, you mentioned Paul Canerco. Paul Canerco also got some mentions in the first baseman list. He was 25th. He ranked 25th in this uh, in this exercise we have here. Um, but Frank Thomas at number four. Yeah, his his uh, his stats are just bananas. I mean, a lot of these offensive stats here, he's in the top. 20 and it's just his offensive prowess is just not just his power but his on base 419 on base he's good for 20th all time you know you just don't see that in power hitting first baseman they strike out they don't get on base right so i don't know i think i think not only with the power but the but just the fact that he could get on base was something to be be amazed at in of itself well, and he, and he played a lot of his career with nagging injuries too. And he was still this productive. Yeah. You know, he didn't miss a ton of time. Um, other than I know in 2005, actually when the White Sox won the world series his last year there, he, you know, he missed a lot of time then, but most of the time he didn't miss time while he was hurt. He just, you know, he played through injuries and he was still this good. And, yeah. and that's, that's amazing to me. I know I've been, you know, kind of drooling over, over Frank Thomas here, but that's because he's really good. He is really good. So if he's that good and only made number four, who's in the top three? Well, we're going to show you the top three right now. At number three, Jimmy Fox. Jimmy Fox played a 20-year career with the Philadelphia A's, the Red Sox, the Cubs, and then the Philadelphia Phillies from 1925 to 1942. And then he came back and played for the Phillies in 1944 and 1945. He played in 2,317 games, a career 325 uh, hitting uh, average, a 428 on base, good for 10th all-time and fourth all-time in slugging at 609 he's tied for 12th all-time with stan the man at 158 weighted runs created plus he is he is 20th all-time with a 101.8 career war he has nine all-star appearances he won the mvp in 1932 33 and 38 he won the Triple Crown in 1933, was ninth, is 19th all-time in homers at 534, and 10th all-time in RBIs at 1,922. Jimmy Fox, deservedly in the top three for me. What do you think? I agree. 
I think when I was making my own list, I kept flip-flopping him between two and three. And I could definitely um, see him at number two. And and it's he he was really, really good. Um he's also kind of a kind of a sad story too. When you when you look at uh, some of the I guess some of the things people remember about Jimmy Fox, one of the things that a lot of people might bring up is that he he drank a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jim, Jimmy Fox actually supposedly began drinking, uh, drinking, excuse me, began drinking because his first wife was very physically abusive towards him and he didn't respond in kind and instead uh, hit the bottle. And then he actually quit uh, after, uh, after their marriage no longer existed and then picked up the bottle again after facing some injuries uh, as he got a little bit older and some of his teammates even said that he would play games very drunk. Um, and he was, <laughs> he was still this good. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, kind of hard to, to fathom how anybody could hit a baseball while intoxicated, but apparently Jimmy Fox did it and did it regularly. And, uh, you know, it's, he, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves fourth all time in slugging, uh, you know, the 158 WRC plus is kind of crazy, especially when you consider he's a first baseman and yeah. uh, WRC plus and war, those numbers are a little bit affected by playing first base. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people don't realize though, uh, he caught on and off during his career too. Oh, um, I did not know that. Yeah. So, so, you know, he had a little bit of catcher's knees there and, you know, drank too much and he was still this good. Uh, Jimmy Fox, <laughs> Jimmy Fox was viewed at the time he was playing as just as good of a hitter as Babe Ruth. Oh, wow. That's a good comp. I'll take that. Um, Well, and Babe Ruth drank quite a bit too, if I remember correctly. So, you know, (laughs) yes, he did. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I, I feel like a lot of people in that time drank quite a bit, but you know, it's just some people drank more than others. I mean, you have to be really good if you can do that. Um, intoxicated um so yeah that, that that was really great insight i love that i love that story that was cool um cory richmond agrees great insight great insight nice job kevin um oh, thank you. do you know how jimmy fox died how did jimmy fox die choking on food no yep you know what's even weirder what his second wife also died choking on food what that is such a what a way to go that would be terrible. Wow. That's yeah. awful. Well, he is, he is definitely a sad story, but he is a happy memory in our thoughts. Uh, Jimmy Fox, number three all time, uh, according to baseball life at the first base position. So who is better than Jimmy Fox at number two? The machine, Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols spent a 22-year career with the Cardinals, Angels, and Dodgers from 2001 to 2022. He played in 3,080 games, good for fifth all-time. He had a career 296 average, 374 OBP, and a 544 slugging percentage, good for 32nd all-time. He has a 141 weighted runs created plus in his career, good for 58th all-time. He has an 88.8 war, good for 27th all-time. He appeared in 11 all-star games, was a 2001 Rookie of the Year, won the NL MVP in 2005, 2008, and 2009. 
In 2006 and 2010, he won the gold glove, won the silver slugger six times, is fourth all-time in home runs with 703, second all-time in RBIs with 2,218, and 10th all-time in hits, 3,384, and arguably one of the greatest right-handed hitters in our generation. The machine, Albert Pujols, at number two in the greatest first baseman of all time. Kevin, what do you have to say about Albert Pujols? If you don't love Albert Pujols, you're wrong, or a Cubs fan. That's what I have to say about Albert Pujols. I mean, the, the man was incredible, um, and if I could give him the plantar fascias out of my feet and just let him have them while he was an angel, who knows what these numbers would look like because he could not move uh, the second half of his career because his feet were just absolutely broken down Uh, He could not, uh, at times, could not plant on his front foot uh, when he was swinging. Uh, A lot of times he had to DH rather than play first base because he could not move because the plantar fascias in his feet were just done. And I wonder, like, I mean, he had 703 home runs as it is. If he had healthy feet, is he the all-time home run champion? I think he probably would have been. You know, I mean, he played, what was it, 10 seasons as an angel, uh, and then he had obviously this this great uh, farewell season with the Cardinals. If you just add a couple of home runs a year, you know, with, due to healthy feet, who knows? Maybe he's the all-time home run king. And I, I think that's a I think that's something to think about when you're thinking about how good somebody was. It's like would maybe one one little thing drastically change their legacy? And I think maybe just healthy feet might have might have given Albert Pujols what he needed to be maybe number one on this list and maybe number one on the all-time home run list. You know, as an Angel fan, I do have to say, when he came to the Angels the first couple of years, he was producing. He was hitting 25, 30 homers, right? He, he was 41 year. Uh, yeah. It, it, it wasn't in his second. Uh, I think so. It was in his second season for the Angels. He hit 40 homers. And so he was still producing. But yeah, the feet, it was just this plantar fasciitis. And you could tell he was hurting. I mean, the man couldn't run. You know, people made fun of him because he was so slow. He was so slow because his feet hurt. You try running with plantar fasciae that, you know, are just done. That hurts, you know? So, you know, I was, as an, as an Angel fan, I was glad to have Albert Pujols on, um, uh, on the team. And it was great to see him. He's one of the, in my mind, one of the greatest, if not the greatest right-handed hitter in our generation. Um, one of the greatest hitters of all time. And I mean, it just, I, I, I don't think it's a very far stretch to say if he did not get plantar fasciitis or if maybe he had a few more years of having healthy feet, I could very well see him as the home run king, right? And it just, and it just speaks to how good he is knowing that he was that good. And I think he had very little steroid suspicion, but he didn't have, I, I, he had way less steroid suspicion than most other people that were hitting as well as he did. Um, and if, again, if he didn't, if he had healthy feet, his career batting average still would be over 300. The reason why he has a career 296 average is because his last couple of years it, with the Angels were just terrible. They were just that bad. Um, if it weren't for that, we would be seeing a career average over 300. Um, so, you know, 
again, this is another one of if it, it, all of the challenges that he faced and he was that good still, who knows how good he would have been if he had healthy feet, you know? So I agree. Um, so anything else you have to say on Albert Pujols before we move to number one? Yeah, just real quick, just thinking about his prime, man. I remember, you know, because everybody did this when they were kids. You know, I'd be homesick watching Sports Center for the fourth time in a row. And, you know, there would be highlights. And I remember uh, two, two different times distinctly there being, you know, web gym plays that a defender made where it was off of a ball that Pujols hit. And I remember one time Stuart Scott and another time Brian Kenny both said, wow, they got Pujols out. That's a big deal. And we're talking about baseball. Like, you know, you fail 70% of the time, but he, he was so feared and so good that just to get him out seemed like an accomplishment. Right. And, and man, I, in 2009, I was in New York. Uh, it might've been the first year of City Field. It was one of the first years of City Field. And at the end of batting practice, Pujols jumped back in the line and asked the BP pitcher to throw him three more pitches. I saw him hold up three fingers. And I'm in the left field bleachers, and I'm like, okay, I might get me a ball, right? And I did not get a ball because Albert took three pitches and hit all three of them off the, the luxury box windows on the third deck. Three in a row, bang, glass, bang, glass, bang, glass. They didn't break the glass, but I, I, I have not seen somebody do that before just say three more pitches and hit each one on 450 feet into the into the luxury boxes with just no sweat whatsoever it's just the man is a freak i mean he was just he's he was just a freak of nature i'm glad to be able to have seen a player like that in my lifetime um so albert pujols um rightfully in my opinion having his farewell season um, with the Cardinals, I think he just, if it wasn't for, you know, if it happened any other way, it just wouldn't have felt right. I think him having that farewell season and, and St. Louis was really good for him. Um, so Albert Pujols was number two. Who's number one. Well, most of you have probably, probably, most of you have probably taken a guess at who number one is because he hasn't been mentioned yet. And there's no way that he's not in the top 10. And if he's not in the top 10, this list has got to be egregiously wrong, right? Well, hopefully that this list is not egregiously wrong because our number one first baseman of all time, according to Baseball Life, is Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig spent a 17-year career with the Yankees from 1923 to 1939. He played in 2,164 games and hit for a career 340 average, good for 19th all time, a 447 OBP, which is good for fifth all time, and a 632 slugging percentage, good for third all time. He has a career 173 weighted runs created plus, good for third all time. He has 116.3 war, good for 12th all time. He appeared in 17 All-Star games, won the MVP in 1927 and 1936, won the Triple Crown in 1934. He's tied for 29th all-time in home runs with 493 and 7th all-time in RBIs with 1,995. And I think this is the biggest case of what could have been if he didn't get sick, if he didn't get what's known now as ALS, what could have been, right? Nonetheless, 
according to Baseball Life, Lou Gehrig is the greatest first baseman of all time. I don't have any qualms with Lou Gehrig being number one. Um, what do you think? I mean, I agree. <laughs> I mean, even just based off what he did, not even considering the what if, I think it's fine having him at number one. And when you consider that, you know, his last couple years in baseball uh, before his final season, he would complain of, of fatigue and uh, just feeling not right. And then his final year, obviously, it really ratcheted up and, and he knew something was wrong. And uh, He ended his Iron Man streak. You know, that's where he got the name Iron Horse was that he played so much. Um, and then he never played again. That's what a lot of people don't realize is that he he did not play after after he took himself out of the lineup that day. Um, he was there. He was present, but he was unable to play. Um, as a matter of fact, um, when he was going to uh, the doctor, uh, you know, they traveled by train a lot back then. He was traveling with somebody from I think it was the New York Times in its early, uh, early existence. But they, they were uh, the writer was commenting on how everybody was wishing him well everywhere. He saw it says, yeah, he said, yeah, he said, yeah, I'm sick, but I'm dying, too. So it, he knew. Uh, Lou Gehrig knew that that his body was so not right that not only was his career going to end, but that his body was was shutting down too, um, which is it, it's so sad to think about because you know at age thirty four, his body started to feel weird, and by age thirty six he was done. You tack on a few more really good years and maybe a few more uh, you know twilight years onto that, and we're talking about a guy who might've hit 600 home runs and would have had 3000 hits and, you know, maybe 2,500 RBIs. And I mean, we're talking about him going from the, the best first baseman of all time to maybe top five player of all time. Right. Um, and he's not that far from the discussion as is, if we're being honest. Oh, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. He's got to be in the top, what, 10, 15, 20, uh, players of all time. Um, I, yeah, I have zero qualms. In fact, I believe I had Lou Gehrig at number one as well, which is really something because I really wanted to put Pujols at number one, but I could not put Pujols at number one because Lou Gehrig was just that good. I mean, to be that durable and that consistent for a long time and, and, and be that good. It's just otherworldly. This is a player that I wish I would have been able to see play. Lou Gehrig, um, you know, so it's, I don't know. This, this man, I think, deserves a lot of credit when it comes to being a baseball player. Um, and I don't think I've ever heard a crossword about Lou Gehrig ever um, in baseball history, baseball fandom. I don't think I've ever heard a crossword about Lou Gehrig. And that's, that's tough to say. When you talk about baseball fans, you know, baseball fans either like you or they don't. And you usually have somebody that likes you or doesn't. And I believe it was Lou Gehrig that said, even when he was going through slumps, Yankee fans never booed him. He never got booed in Yankee Stadium. He was always clapped for, always cheered for. And that's hard to do in a New York market. Even, th even back then, it was hard to do. So the fact to that to be fair, what kind of slumps did he really go through until that's, the end? That's also true. <laughs> that's also true. Um, so you know, 
I think very rightfully Lou Gehrig deserved to be uh, number one on our list of top 10. So uh, I, I can, I, can I go over it again? I don't want to, I don't want to mess up the computer. So um, no, I think we're good with going o- with uh, not going over it. Uh, let's really quickly. So that's our top 10 of all time. Let's see where they stack up in terms of, you know, it's not total bases without a spreadsheet. So I'll quickly uh, go to a spreadsheet. I'm going to have to stop sharing my screen so that I can do this. Uh, and then uh, we will end the show. Uh, where, where is it? I got to get it. I don't know where it's at. Um, we will be moving to a, we will be moving to, I can't find it all of a sudden. Uh, I don't know what happened. Uh, we'll be moving to a, uh, to second baseman next. Um, yeah, my, that whole window. Oh, there it is. Um, we will be moving to second baseman next in our greatest of all time series. And I got to get this up. There it is. Uh, okay, here we go. So let's really quickly just pull up the spreadsheet and then we will end the show. Uh, much to, uh, Felipe's liking here. Here is our spreadsheet. Uh, first baseman only. Greatest of all time, first baseman statistics. It is from 1923 to present time with a minimum 6,000 plate appearances. Obviously, uh, red is good and blue is not. You come down here and here we are. So in terms of hits, here you see Albert Pujols at number one, then Eddie Murray. There's our there's our guy, Eddie Murray, the compiler, at fourth on this list with um, 3,255 hits. You see Miguel Cabrera. Lou Gehrig is down here. Jimmy Fox, Frank Thomas, all the way down here. Here's Jeff Bagwell. Uh, and then you have McCovey. And then you keep going down, Killebrew. And then there was somebody down here in the blue, if I remember correctly. Yep, there's Hank Greenberg. And that's essentially because he's, you know, uh, he only played 1,394 games. Um so there's that. Is there a specific uh, stat now that you're seeing this uh, sp- uh, spreadsheet there? Is there a specific stat you want to uh, focus on here in order? Uh, just to uh, reiterate more of my grievance from earlier, we can take a peek at Eddie Murray's slugging percentage, which is 476, which is, um, we'll just say, not uh, not a, a very high number when you're considering the power position that first base is, you know, that's a fine number for most players, but when you're talking about the top 10 of first baseman ever, that's, that's the number is just not, it doesn't compare to these other guys. So let's take a look at Eddie Murray here. So we see some red here in terms of hits and homers and RBIs, you know, some more of the counting stats and that's, that's to be expected when you play 3000, you know, 3000 games and have 12,000 plate appearances, you're bound to have that stuff. Um, but you look at the rate stats here, there's a lot of just basic, like basic white. You have the, or the off oh, cream white here. You have the, the average and the OBP and the slugging are pretty white here. You've got the, the walk percentage is kind of in the blue actually. And then you've got the strikeout percentage in the red. So he didn't strike out, you know, he only struck out 11% of the time. Uh, the Wolba, and then the weighted runs created plus it's not blue, but it's not red. It's like right in the middle there. Um, and then our war there. So you see the war again, that's more. If you've played for a while, you kind of start to see a higher war. So you see that tinge of red, but when you play 3000 games, you would like to see it look something like 
you know, Lou Gehrig's or something like that, right? When you play 22 seasons and you play 3,000 games, that's what you want to see. Um, and you don't. It's just barely, barely a uh, any sort of tinge of red there. So let's see. Can I can I do this? Let's see. Can I do this on the spot? Uh, no, I cannot. Great. Uh, let's see who is, who's higher in terms of Eddie Murray. Um, when it comes to, I got to freeze this column. Uh, when it comes to, of course there's a problem. Stupid, stupid Google sheets. Um, let's see, uh, who's higher when it comes to Eddie Murray, uh, Rod Carew, Rod Carew is higher in war. Um, we've got, let's see who else, uh, Tony Perez, Tony per, uh, Oh, is not higher. I'm sorry. That's, that's lower. Let's see. Frank Thomas who played half his career as a DH Frank Thomas. Uh, let's see. Here's, here's one. Oh, Jeff Bagwell. Jeff Bagwell is, is there, uh, let's see anybody else, anybody else, anybody else going down, going down. I don't see any more really that are higher. Uh, what about comparable here? Uh, here's a comparable one. Oh, that's, is that Eddie Murray? No, that's Miggy. Um, but Miggy's see. probably the worst defender of everyone we've talked about today too. That his is defense awesome. numbers. His defense numbers bring his war way down. That's, that's also true. Rafael Palmero, who didn't even sniff this list is, is up here at 70 and he played a little under 3000 games. So, you know, not, not, it's a comparable career, um, I guess. And well, I guess you could say Eddie Murray did it at, as far as we know, he did it clean. Um, well, look Let's at the rate stats between Eddie Murray and Tony Perez. They're really similar and nobody in their right mind would have voted for Tony Perez. Yeah. Yeah. The rate stats are very, you're right. The rate stats are very similar. You have pretty similar averages, uh, the he's got a little bit better OVP, a little bit better, a little bit better OVP about 10 points higher when it comes to slugging, but you know, for sure, definitely very comparable to Tony Perez and Tony Perez didn't even sniff this list either. Um, let's see, um, just what, what is that? Nine wins, um, above Ernie Banks and Ernie Banks didn't make this list, you know, um, let's see who else, uh, 72.1. Oh, that's Thomas. Uh, Frank Thomas, let's see, 62.3, Joe Torre. Joe Torre played in 2,200 games, and he has a 62 war. That's 10 wins, but he's got a whole, Eddie Murray's got a whole 1,000 games on Joe Torre. You know, so I don't know. I don't, I I agree. Eddie Murray is way too, let's see, is that 60, is that still Joe Torre? Yeah, what's Paul Canerco? Uh, Paul Canerco is... At oh 24? No, that's way too low. Wow. Um, anyway. Um, oh, let's see. Where's Jim Tomei? Jim Tomei just missed this list. 69.1. And we have Eddie Murray at number five. So yeah, I think Eddie Murray is probably the biggest mistake on this on this list. Um, so yeah, lots of colors, lots of Lots of stuff. Lots of lots of good discussion, though. Uh, any anything you want to say? Any parting words before we before we sign off here? Nothing really. Just uh, just that I, I have enjoyed uh, going through these lists. I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy looking at uh, at the other positions. Hopefully, there won't be uh, as big of a, a grievance uh, with any of the other positions as there was with uh, Eddie Murray at five for first base. But if there is, I will make sure 
that the grievance is aired. <laughs> I will. I will hold you to that. Uh, so thank you to everybody that was in the chat and watching live. Thank you to all of you who are going to listen to us on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, on any of those. Um, so if if you haven't watched us on YouTube yet, this is probably one to watch on YouTube um, because there's a lot of multimedia different presentations that we have on this one. Um, so thank you all for listening. Thank you. Uh, thank you to the Baseball Life Facebook group for putting this together. Um, this was a this is a really fun exercise and I love debating stuff like this. Uh, for my friend there, Kevin, I am Austin Spiro. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Total Bases Podcast. And we will see you next week for the greatest second baseman of all time. And until next time, have a good one, everybody.